the Cinema Silo, a podcast where three sisters recreate the post-movie theater experience. I'm Jessie. I'm Annie. And this is Frankie. Today we're talking about my favorite movie that I watched in 2020, Palm Springs. This movie is a comedy. It's got a rom-com foundation, black humor overlay, slapstick sprinkles, and a lot of heart. first meet Niles, a guest at a wedding in Palm Springs, California. His intriguingly weirdo demeanor catches the eye of the bride's sister, Sarah. The two hang out after the reception, wander into the desert, and out of nowhere, a man appears and starts hunting Niles with a bow and arrow. Injured, Niles drags himself into a mysterious cave that opened after an earthquake. Curious and concerned, Sarah follows him inside the cave and gets sucked inside herself only to discover she immediately wakes up that same morning. Sarah and Niles must relive the wedding day over and over in an infinite time loop. If you haven't seen this movie, beware. There are many spoilers ahead. I really enjoyed this movie. It's a new take on a very familiar story in the grand tradition of Groundhog Day. It was funny, fresh, had many layers, was fun to watch with all its colors and montages, and all wrapped up in a tight 90 minutes. Perfect length for a little romantic comedy, but it's actually a really well done movie. I've just really enjoyed it this year. What did you two think? Oh, I loved this movie. I loved this movie. I So I've watched it twice now. I mean, I've always loved Andy Samberg. Like, I'll watch pretty much anything that Andy Samberg is in. And almost 100% of the time, I will laugh and enjoy myself. This was another one I was going in expecting to enjoy it. But it was more heartfelt than I thought it was going to be. Even before we even get into the film, it says Lonely Island classics. This is not the kind of movie I expect from Lonely Island, guys. It's, it's got a lot of heart. It's good. Yeah. Frankie, what did, did you like the movie? Yeah, I, I like the movie. Um, so the movie is not written or conceived by the Lonely Island guys. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it is. Yeah, so who so who did this movie? So the story was just developed by Max Barbacow, the director, and Andy Ciara, who's the screenwriter. They came up with the idea when they were classmates at AFI Film School. Hmm. They wanted to make a romantic comedy that explored the idea of marriage and the long-term commitment. Hmm. And then later they developed it. They added time loop piece to it and did some research to try to make it seem a little bit plausible. Andy Samberg ended up reading it and Lonely Island got involved and then it screened at Sundance and Hulu bought it for the highest amount of money that a movie has been purchased at Sundance. Wow. And it beat the previous record by 69 cents. (laughs) (laughs) What was the previous record holder? It was Birth of a Nation from like... Oh, yeah, from a few years ago, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which I never saw. I don't yeah, really know. Either. I love those 69 cents. Yep. You know that that was on purpose. That's really funny. Totally. <laughs> I really enjoyed the story. I also thought it was really tightly edited. I read an interview with the editor, Matt Friedman, and he said he's a fixer where he goes into movies that aren't working and he trims them up makes them work. He said that his trick is that he takes out a couple seconds here and there where it feels like it's dragging rather than eliminating entire scenes or entire storylines. On my rewatch, I could see that every frame had value. Absolutely. I thought that the movie had momentum, forward momentum the whole time, right? Even though it's a time loop, right? They're consistently 
every shot, every scene is contributing to the story. I also liked how bright the movie was. It felt very sunny and like you should be able to really enjoy yourself. There are a lot of really bright colors, the props and the costumes. It didn't feel like Groundhog Day. The snowy winter. Yeah, it didn't really have that drudgery, but it did in the sense you could feel the weariness of the actors or the characters, right? Um, the second time I was watching it, you know, I was looking at the landscape a lot more and I did have like a dumb moment where I was like, man, like where in the world is, does it look like this? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, they must have shot this in a really interesting place. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah, Palm Springs. I just know so little, actually, about California. You know, it's like such a foreign, even though it's, you know, the United States, it's just so far from my realm of experience. And I've never been to a place that's looked like that. The desert landscape. Definitely a very different environments. Do you have something that you want to say next? Or can I like ask about the dinosaur scene? Yeah, go ahead and ask about the dinosaur scene. So there's a scene in this movie where Indy Samberg and Kristen Malati are just doing mushrooms in this magical landscape. It's a very heartfelt scene. It's a very important conversation between the two characters that culminates in them holding hands and looking out into the landscape and seeing dinosaurs, which... On my second time watching, I Googled, because I was just curious. What, what did you Google? Dinosaurs? <laughs> I Googled Palm Springs dinosaurs just to like, no, <laughs> I don't know what I was looking for. Those are real dinosaurs. What? So, <laughs> they're, 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 okay. So they're not real in the, they're CGI. Right? How did they get <laughs> real dinosaurs? <laughs> Those are the Cabazon dinosaurs. What? What does that mean? The Cabazon dinosaurs are a roadside attraction in Palm Springs of a Brontosaurus and a Tyrannosaurus Rex that were built to like bring in people to a restaurant called the Wheel Inn Restaurant. These are like a very famous roadside attraction piece of novelty American architecture. <laughs> what? Yes, these are a real thing. And they were made even more famous by their appearance... In the 1985 film, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, man. Huh. Yes. Yes, these are real. The brontosaurus is named Dinny. Dinny Dinosaur was completed in 1975. And Mr. Rex was completed in 1986. <laughs> the man who had built them, after he passed away, he had to sell the property and it was bought and turned into a creationist museum. Oh, my God. So now you go in, you can go inside these dinosaurs and the original owner had a display of the history of dinosaurs and evolution. And it has now been turned into a creationist museum where they sell toy dinosaurs and on the labels say, don't swallow it. The fossil record does not support evolution. <gasps> oh my God. What? Yes. Yes. Well, that changes how I think of why they're in the movie then. I think they're in the movie because they're a roadside attraction in Palm Springs, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, here's a question. Do both of them see the dinosaurs or does only Niall? Yes. Yeah, they both see it. They both see them. Are we... S because they're but there. She, but she doesn't... <laughs> only he says that he sees dinosaurs and he doesn't say it in that scene, right? He does. He says it in that scene and he says, do you see them? And she says, yes. And then they hold hands. 
But th- them isn't dinosaurs, though. What if she sees something differently? No, he says, do you see the dinosaurs? And she says, yes. And then later sure? she says, do you remember the night we saw the dinosaurs? I don't know about that. I'm looking that up. I literally just watched it. <laughs> well, and then the dinosaurs appear again at the end. In the last scene, when they pull back, it's the dinosaurs walking across the horizon. Oh, yeah. You just watched it, Annie. <laughs> anyway, I just can't believe... This is like a distinct call out to Palm Springs. Yeah. Right. The Cabazon dinosaurs and being in the belly of Denny the dinosaur. Okay. So I had been reading interviews with the filmmakers. They were like, yeah, they're real dinosaurs. They're supposed to be real dinosaurs. But when I heard that, I was thinking, okay, there's like, they're thinking that these are really dinosaurs that are like real dinosaurs, not the way that you said it, which is that they're real dinosaurs, but they're like the roadside attraction. Maybe that's what they meant when they say that they're real dinosaurs. But it also makes me wonder if like time loop movies are also a take on like the American road trip movie. How so? In the sense of like, you're, you're going on a journey, but the, the landscape doesn't change, but you change. So like you're going on a road trip and then you change, like you, you see different things, right? And then you change. In this movie, in the time loop, they, they're able to have different experiences within the time loop, even though geographically they're in the same place and theoretically, temporally, they're in the same place. And then they change. And then... Yeah, I see it. Maybe that's what that means. Yeah. But instead of externalizing it through changing landscape, it's internalized right yeah also i looked it up and i was right they don't say dinosaurs there's only one time he says dinosaurs and that's at the end and niall says it she doesn't so so burn so what does that prove what is that like what is what does that say what does that tell us my interpretation of that might be that maybe she saw something else that was magnificent but it doesn't have to be the exact same thing because in that scene all that they say is he says do you see them and she says yes with them could be anything. So it like it could be his hallucination. Yeah. And she's having another hallucination. Yeah. But like maybe similarly grand. So it's less about exactly what they're seeing than about the fact that they're experiencing that feeling together. I mean, I think the movie is open ended enough that that could be it. And especially if this guy has been stuck in. OK, well, how long has he been stuck in this time loop in Palm Springs? Because maybe he's hallucinating these dinosaurs because he's seen them. So, so many times. The filmmakers say anywhere from 40 years to 40 million years. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Sarah is supposed to be stuck in there anywhere from 27 months to 27 years. Okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, because he forgets what his job is. He doesn't remember when she asks right. him in that fire... I guess the fire scene when they're camping in the desert is much mm-hmm. more pivotal than I initially gave it credit for because mm-hmm. they have a really deep discussion there and that's when they see the dinosaurs and then they have sex. After that is when Sarah can't handle it anymore and she leaves to go study physics to try to figure out a way to escape the time loop. Yeah, so that's a really pivotal point in the movie. What I really like about the time loop concept as a storytelling device is that you can use it to tell a lot of different things. This week, I watched a movie that also had a time loop concept in it called The Map of Tiny Perfect Things, which was not a great movie, but it was like a metaphor for talking about grief. So I saw this movie as like a metaphor for relationships and 
go through life, go through the monotony of life together? How do you find happiness in the mundane? Yeah, I mean, that's when they say, you know, what if we get sick of each other? Mm-hmm. They're like, we're already sick of each other and it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, Frankie, I remember you really liked the Roy character. Yeah. So Roy is this other guy who gets stuck in the time loop, Andy Samberg, and he's played by J.K. Simmons, and it's amazing, but he's very, very angry to be there. He does not want to be there. And his character starts off at the beginning of the movie when he first meets Andy, and he's just like, man, like, married life sucks, like, it's just drudgery, and, you know, I, I love this day. This day is the best. I wish I could live in this day forever. And then Andy's like, well... And there's a cave over here where you can <laughs> you can live this day over and over. And he gets so mad about it, he periodically comes back to torture Andy Samberg. And then eventually Andy Samberg's character realizes he hasn't seen him for a long time. So he goes to find him and he's just happy and he's just enjoying soaking in each day that he has to live again. He's mm-hmm. just enjoying spending that time with his family. And there's a little bit of bittersweet sentiment there because he's appreciating the moment, but he's also sad that it can't go forward. Right. Like he can watch his son watering dog shit and say, it's weird, but it's beautiful. But then also be sad that he'll never get to walk his own daughter down the aisle. Right. I love Andy Samberg and J.K. Simmons chemistry. I think they have an excellent dynamic. We've all seen I Love You, Man the Paul Rudd, Jason Siegel movie. And one of the standouts of that movie, if we remember, is the relationship between Paul Rudd's dad, played by J.K. Simmons, and Paul Rudd's younger brother, played by Andy Samberg, and how they are actually best friends. Mm -hmm. And it was really fun to see them all these years later kind of like redoing that same, like to, to have them reconnect. And the night they first meet when they're just partying so hard and just holding each other as they slow dance. In the middle of the wedding. <laughs> so when Sarah's going through her breakdown, she kills Roy. Yeah. And that leads Andy Samberg's character to say something like, what you do to people matters. Even if you think it doesn't because we're in this time loop and we're all just going to wake up again tomorrow. Well, I guess actually today. Um, he <laughs> says, like, <laughs> what you do to people matters. And I think that that's an interesting quote in the context of his relationship with Roy. Right? Because he... What he did to Roy and sending him to that cave mattered. Yeah. And it's about dealing with the consequences of that for yourself. Roy may wake up in this time loop again, but she has to remember that she did that. I think is important in the context of what her secret is, yeah. which is that she slept with the groom mm-hmm. and her sister is the bride. Right. And so every morning when she wakes up, she's actually, we find out how partway through the movie, she's actually waking up in the groom's bedroom. Mm-hmm. that morning so every morning she has to wake up reminded yes of that poor choice that she made and even though like maybe it doesn't matter because maybe these are just shadows of the real people she's still racked with this guilt and that's ultimately what drives her away yeah to figure out how to escape it I mean so talking about does this movie do anything new with the time loop how is that different from other approaches to the time loop Right, because I would argue that in Groundhog Day, for example, it's not so much about what is his name Phil too. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's not so Phil much Connors. What, Phil Connors, thank you. So, so much of what Phil does to other people and his memory of doing it, like that's not really the the ethical question so much. 
Is it? Right. They never really get into the ethics of it. Right. Because, like, he blows up people. He blows up himself. He yeah. blows up the, right. the groundhog. He sleeps with women. He seduces <laughs> them. Or, like, the same, like, one woman over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> or it's no more dis- about self-improvement. Right. Right. Like, he was a bad person before, but through this unending time loop, he came to this, like, philosophical perspective on life where he rises above his ego to recognize what the people around him need mm-hmm. and, and how to treat people well. But it's, it's less this, I don't even know how to describe well, it. Well, I feel like in Palm Springs, by virtue of dropping in to the story when Andy Samberg has already been in the mm-hmm. time loop for so long, there could be a whole nother movie about just that guy and yeah. what he's been dealing with. And we're kind of dropping in and that movie's already happened, right? He's already grown yes. and yeah. changed so much from the man who got caught in the loop, who showed up at the wedding. And I'm pretty sure that that's something that the writers wanted to do, right? Yeah. 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 Groundhog Day is more about himself. This film takes it a step further by putting him in a time loop with other people. So it's not just about rising above ego. It's about this, this coexistence. The sharing, right? With uh, Niles, he's perfectly content to just stay there. Like, he doesn't want to leave. Whereas Phil Connors was, right. like, desperate to leave. Yeah. And then did something, like, built something. Mm-hmm. that, And then eventually one day he woke up and he had sort of achieved that perfect day. He had, like, achieved a nirvana right. almost, right. right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then he woke up and then it was the next day. And there's no, like physical science-based explanation as to why that happened. And when we see Andy Samberg, he's perfectly content. He essentially has to be talked into trying to leave. Yeah. Sarah, Mm -hmm. who like forced him to change, forced him to take the step and to take a risk. And he was willing to do that in order to be with her. Because he says, even if they die when they blow themselves up, trying to destroy the time loop, he would rather die than to be Mm -hmm. in the time loop without her. Yeah. And I'm th- it's kind of sappy, actually, yeah. if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in Groundhog Day, there's no sense that this time loop, there's anyone else in this time loop that this has happened before or that other people might be experiencing something like this. It's the opposite in this film. Right. Yeah. There are a lot of hints and even the filmmakers have said that there are definitely other people <laughs> in the time loop. Like it seems like, like there's a Nana character mm-hmm. who's the grandmother of the groom and Played by June Squibb. I love her. <laughs> but I almost feel like, okay, so that idea of Nirvana in Groundhog Day is really interesting. This idea that Phil Connors is being put through these trials in order to achieve this Nirvana that allows him to, you know, go beyond ego and self. But in this film, in Palm Springs, it's, it is totally different. There is no Nirvana, right? They return to the regular timeline, right? They break out of the time loop. But they don't have all these skills. They don't have all these like new friends and this community that they've made, right? It's more about just the the inherent like ethics of certain behaviors and how you treat people, right? Like the, the good in doing something comes from the act itself almost, right? Like what you do to people matters because you remember it, but also because killing somebody is wrong, right? Hmm. It's, it's a wrong in and of itself, not just because of its effects necessarily. Whereas in Groundhog Day, the, you know, he's a bad person because of the effect it has on other people. I didn't see this movie being so much about ethics or like ex- 
that kind of stuff as Groundhog Day is. Mm-hmm. Like Andy Ciara said that he imagined the script originally as an absurdist, comedic, mumblecore take on leaving Las Vegas. Right. That he wanted to have a despondent 30-something travel to Palm Springs to kill himself and slowly rediscover a sense of meaning in his life. I feel like this movie is saying that he finds meaning. He even says, you know, life is meaningless. Mm-hmm. And then after he finally realizes he's in love with her, she says that back to him in the car yeah. after they've slept together. And she says, life's meaningless. And he says, well, it's not all meaningless, right? And it's finally him building up a sense of meaning in his life. And we watch him rebuild that. And that's the, like his character arc. But is, it's not, I agree, his, but is him discovering how he engages with the rest of the world necessarily. It's him, it's an internal growth of finding meaning in his own life by feeling love for someone else and knowing that, okay, well, that's what I want in my life. If I'm stuck here, if I'm out there, no matter what, like I need that again. I would disagree because I don't think that the meaning comes from his love for Sarah. I think the philosophy of this film is that there is an inherent meaning that doesn't just come from other people, right? But that you, when you find that meaning, what you can do is you can share it with people, but it doesn't necessarily come from others. I see, I see that in the character of Roy. Mm-hmm. I don't see that in the character of Niles. I see that in J.K. Simmons, who has an appreciation for his family, for his children, for his wife, and gains that appreciation through the time loop. I don't see that in Niles. What I see in Niles is that suicidal life is meaningless. Why should I even try or like make an effort to do anything differently? It's his relationship and his connection with Sarah that I think pulls him out of it. I don't see it as him tapping into something else. Like, I, I, I guess in the sense of like an appreciation for life might be the bigger thing that he's tapping into. But I I think there are different ways that they're appreciating life because uh, Roy's character is appreciating his life, but he's not sharing it. I mean, he's sharing it in a very, very limited way. Like he's just appreciating it for what it is in that, in that one single moment, yeah. not for what he's necessarily able to get back. Cause he can't yeah. get back anything from those people because they're the same every day. Whereas Niles yeah. and Sarah were able to grow together and become different people and go on their own journey indi- as individuals. And then at the end, come back yes. together and say, yeah, we still want to be together and we want to get out of this. And I think that that roadside talk after she kills Roy and he's like, you can't cause like terror for other people. Like it matters. Yeah. I don't think that it's not that she doesn't see it that way, but that's what she's been doing her whole life. Cause she's yeah. been the problem in her family. Mm-hmm. She, every morning mm-hmm. she's reminded of the terror that she causes for other people because she wakes up in the bed of her sister's fiance. Right. And I think Andy Samberg had already figured that out. He didn't have to figure Mm -hmm. that out, Yes, but she did. Yes. So he needed to figure out something else. Not everyone's on the same journey. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Agreed. And I think that the time loop storytelling device functions well to show that because nothing else is changing. And so then they're confronted with themselves and how they react to the same things Mm -hmm. or how they behave in the same scenarios. Mm -hmm. They're confronted with the same thing. They can't move to a new city get new friends, like they have to constantly have all of these things in their face Mm -hmm. every day. And then they have to change how they respond to it. Yeah. 
I like this movie. It's so good. And it's just funny. <laughs> it's deep and it's funny. Yes. <laughs> yes. I also, there was another thing about it that reminds me of like vampire movies, like being immortal. Yeah. That I thought was similar. So there's like this montage where he's sort of explaining all these ways that he's like died and then mm-hmm. he explains all these experiences he's had and like these sexual encounters that he's had yeah. and there's yeah. like a sexual fluidity that he just like accepts and is like this is that was great like I, this is a nice guy I'm glad I glad we had sex like you know I mean if you have read any Anne Rice you know <laughs> that when you have infinite time you are pansexual. I mean, that is just an inevitability. <laughs> you had become open to all experiences. Yeah. yeah. Would you rather be stuck in this time loop or be immortal like a vampire? I would like to be immortal because I, I want to see what's next. Like, I, wanna, <laughs> like, I don't want to miss out what's going to happen. Yeah, we also were just stuck in a time loop for a year. So. <laughs> yeah, so much of this movie... Like when Jesse told us that this was going to be your pick for your movie of 2020, it was like, absolutely. How many moments and quotes and things in this movie felt extra relevant after a year of lockdown? So much. Yeah. The, like the montage of them waking up in their bed the same day, but with slightly different reactions. Like similar to life in quarantine, you have to have like rules in order to get through it. (laughs) For me, it's I have my pajamas and then I have my day sweatpants. (laughs) (laughs) I can't stay in my pajamas all day, even though technically it's maybe the same or similar articles of clothing. Or like in the montage of them enjoying each other, enjoying the time loop with each other, how they learn a dance and then get dressed up in the same outfit and go into a bar and perform it for everyone. It's like, it's like TikTok. Yes. So let's talk about the end of the movie when Sarah disappears for who knows how long, becomes a physicist. A little uh, fun tidbit is that the physicist who is Zooming with Sarah to explain concepts with her, he is the science consultant that they hired that they like were like so if if it was possible to have a time loop how would that happen and he was like well you'd need some like physical rip and so they already had that earthquake that created the cave they already had that idea and they were like oh that's perfect that lines up perfectly (laughs) oh wait wait hold on sorry speaking of the earthquakes there's like one of the groomsmen named randy who's always hitting on her yes and there's one time we watch him experience the earthquake i thought it was one of the funniest parts of the movie where he just starts screaming and he yells i never should have left the great lakes this place (laughs) is a nightmare (laughs) i just think of like Jesse, and how you like whenever you talk about different regions of the country, you talk about like what natural disasters are most likely to occur <laughs> in those places. <laughs> You're like, why would you want to live there? Like, this is probably going to happen to you. <laughs> okay, so we get into the physics at the end of the movie. So then they then they go in and and they like detonate this dynamite. They blow themselves up as they're going through. And the next thing we see, they're floating in a pool in the same bathing suits, using the same pool floaties in the same pool that they've been in. But then they look up and then they see that the people who own the house that they're like borrowing have come home from who knows how long of a vacation. And then Niles is like, oh, well, I guess today is the day that they come back. 
but then it pans out and they're the dinosaurs walking across the horizon. Do we think that they got out? Do we think that they just sort of went into a different time loop? I think they're out. I think they're out too. I want to believe. Well, I think in that, in this context of this scene, as opposed to the desert scene, the dinosaurs have a different symbolism, right? They represent the impossibility Mm. and like almost like sublimity of their experience that they had this together. Now they're out of it together and it's Mm -hmm. that connection and I think it's meant to be more symbolic whereas the desert scene I think is meant to play with the idea of the mushrooms and romance and the great expanse of time (laughs) and those those sort of connections so I think it's bridging back to the desert scene but it's a little more symbolic like just like a little wink yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that you know like at the end of Greece when the car flies (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's just fun for the sake of fun. Yeah, Yeah, I would say so. (laughs) Yeah, I think so, too. I don't think it needs to have a deep meaning or like a a logic Mm -hmm. that it follows. I do love that they got out of the time loop and then they are just enjoying the next day. They're not scrambling to get back or go anywhere or leave. Mm -hmm. They're just ready to enjoy what's next. And what's next is probably the wedding brunch and then they're like well we got the rest of the afternoon let's just go Mm -hmm. float in the pool yeah does roy get out i don't know why do you say that the explosion i mean the bomb going off in the time loop like does that shut it off for other people but isn't he still in the previous day so isn't that kind of a paradox because wouldn't the if he's still living the same day would the time hole (laughs) still exist in his day well, he's already gone through the time hole, right? And he's now stuck there, right? He's like in the loop. He's caught in the loop. And that the cave itself, like that physical space is the way to, it's the route for escape. Mm-hmm. But it's also like going to throw you back in. But if they blow it up, if it's a physical thing that can be exploded, if we're to believe that that's what they accomplished. Well, so remember. But then, but then it's, but then it's, oh, wait, hold on. But. She already did it with the goat. Exactly. She already sent the goat through. There you go. Right. She sent the goat through. But here's the thing is that she took as proof that it worked because the goat was not there the next day when like when that reset and she went to find the goat. She couldn't find the goat. Mm -hmm. However, in that post credit scene, when we see Roy show up at the wedding and he taps Niall on the shoulder and he says, I got Sarah's message. This sounds crazy. What's gonna? What are we gonna do? And then Niall looks at him and is like, "Hey, I don't know who you are." Basically, right? And then I think that on first viewing, you're supposed to just take that as like they've gone, like they've reset in some way, or they're they're out. They've escaped the loop, and now it's just like a copy of them, like it is everybody else. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't explain the goat. If they were like the goat, then they would have just completely disappeared. However, unless the reason that the goat disappeared is because the goat had never gone through the first time that the first time the goat went through was the time when he went through with the explosion. So the the goat never went through in the same way that Niall and Sarah and Roy are, where they're constantly stuck in this loop and but conscious of it. Mm -hmm. The first time that the goat went through was with the explosives and then got removed from the loop altogether. Could the goat have been like yeeted into a totally different time period? Skirt, maybe he skirt. maybe he wasn't yeeted <laughs> into the next day. Maybe he woke up, you know, 
2000 BC. Yeah, like what is the, like the mass variable in this formula? Like the goat doesn't <laughs> weigh as much as they do. Probably we're not supposed to think that deeply about it. <laughs> I think on too much scrutiny, it really doesn't hold up. One of my favorite parts uh, toward the end is is when Andy Samberg's character Niles doesn't want to go. And he says to her, you know, out there, it's a world of death and poverty and debilitating emotional distress. And at least in here, we get to be together. Yeah. When I was rewatching the second time, I was thinking of all the parts of the story that feel like the last year. But that line really felt like the last year, no matter how kind of scary and, you know, how anxious we are and how hard it is every day to just kind of be in the same one room or two rooms with like another person. Right. Just like how lucky you still feel to like be able to do that because the rest of the world is just so dark right now. Yeah, absolutely. And then when she finally... He, he tells her, no, I, I actually do choose to go with you. And she's she says, well, I can survive just fine without you, you know, and like makes it very clear, like I'm independent. I'm fine. I don't need this. But you know, she concedes that there's a chance her life will be less mundane with him in it. And that's 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 all she's willing to concede <laughs> until the moment before they blow themselves up. And she says, you know, I love you, too. And he's like, great, super low bar. I can work with that. Less mundane. Let's let's try it. (laughs) And it's like, you know, after being caught in a time loop for possibly millions of years, making things less mundane is actually kind of that's a challenge, right? You have to that's a challenge you have to rise to. You know, it's only been a year for us. But even that trying to break out of the mundane is that's a challenge. Yeah, I mean, that goes back to the sexual experimentation, right? <laughs> but I actually have a point adjacent to that, which is that that, that scene is, is funny. But then when she, Sarah, learns that he had had sex with her before she enters the time loop, that brings up this whole issue of consent. They had had sex. She had consented at the time, but the time loop, Right. So then when she's a part of the time loop, she doesn't remember all of those times they'd had sex because for him, you know, like the time reset. That idea is kind of played for laughs in Groundhog Day, you know, other sort of time loop stories. It's kind of put on, it's kind of twisted on its head with that, right? Right, because the issue was, should he have just told her from the beginning? Yeah. She thinks that he should have. And he said, and at the beginning when she asked him if they had ever had sex, he says like, I don't think so, but you know, I've been in here a long time. I can't really remember. Right. He did that because he didn't want to make it awkward. Mm-hmm. But it goes back to that that thing that he says about what you do to people matters, yeah. right? So the lying, lying about it to her, but also just the fact that he was having sex with people matters, right? Just like she, when she killed Roy, that matters. Even if they don't remember, they wake up and, you know, you don't think it's problematic. It still matters because... It matters in and of itself, right? It has some meaning. It's not the repercussions. Right. Yeah. It's not about the consequences. Just like Sarah cheating matters even if even if her sister never finds out. So remember, at one point in the movie, she's like, you know, what if this is karma? What if I have to like do a truly selfless act to get out of this? Mm-hmm. And then she, her act is that she tells her sister yeah. and it doesn't work. It just resets, right? right? At the end, when she's able to live the day per- like perfect, what she chooses is to not tell 
she keeps it a secret and she just like tells this memory of her sister and how selfless her sister was. Right. And then she looks at Abe and is like, don't fuck this up. Yeah. 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 And she's very serious and he knows it. She's just sort of saying like, that'll, that'll do. Yeah. So that's a secret that she's willing to tell about, about something. Right. Right. I mean, is it because by telling her sister, she is relieving herself of a feeling of guilt, which is not selfless Mm -hmm. in the scenario, especially, right? Because she, of the dynamics at play between the sister and the the husband, fiance. And I think it's also a recognition of like, people can change. Maybe he can do better and it's up to him to do better. Mm. And it's up to me to do better for myself, but I don't need to tell her because. Right. Because I would just hurt her. Yes. Like, I think that that's ultimately a more hopeful view of of both of those characters and like why you would choose not to tell. It's not because you're avoiding it and it's not because you wish it just didn't happen and you want to sweep it under the rug, mm-hmm. but like maybe you trust that you can learn from it and, and grow from it. But airing it out doesn't necessarily make you grow. Great. Sure. Yeah. All right. That's awesome. Well, when we cheat, right. we won't tell. <laughs> that's the lesson. There's another cheater in this movie, and that's Andy Samberg's character's girlfriend, Misty, who, when she believes that Niles is cheating on her with Sarah, he responds, no, you're cheating on me, you goof. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. One of the funnier throwaway lines. And she's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) She is so extra. It's too much, but it's great. Yeah. (laughs) Also, is it Niall or Niles? Because we've Niles. been saying both <laughs> interchangeably. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's with a Y, which is very jarring to look at for me. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> so the actress who plays Misty, her name is Meredith Hagner, and I'd never seen her in anything else. Do either of you know who she is married to and expecting a child with? I I know this. He's in like Supernatural or like no. Riverdale. Wrong. Is it Jensen Eccles? Eccles? Both of you. A- no. Eccles? Eccles? <laughs> <laughs> the hot one from Supernatural. Frankie. No, Frankie. It's Jeb Stewart from The Good Lord Bird. Oh, it's Wyatt Russell. It's Wyatt Russell, son of Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. No way. Yeah. Yes. 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 What else was he in? He was in, um... He was in This Is 40, and he was the flirty hockey player who, like, flirts with Leslie Mann. And he was in 20... Was he in Everybody Wants Some? He was in Everybody Wants Some, the Richard Linklater movie, with the groom in this film. Tyler Hutchlin, the guy from Teen Wolf. Sure. They were in that movie together. (laughs) He was in Table 19... That Anna Kendrick movie, which also has June Squibb. He has appeared in movies with plenty of these other people. He had a show. He starred in a show on AMC called uh, Lodge 49, where the writer of this film was a writer on the Oh, he's going to have a very important role in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Do you know what his first ever role was? Uncredited, but like his first film appearance. Overboard. Overboard. No he way. Was a baby. He was a I baby. Looked, I'm sorry. I, I like cheated. I saw it on Wikipedia. Yeah. He's titled as baby at golf course. <laughs> <laughs> he was also the orphan, orphan boy in Escape from L.A. <laughs> Amazing. 
Misty in this movie has definite Goldie Hawn energy. Yeah. Connected to this, who do you think gave the best performance, the best turn in this film? If you had to pick one person. Purely for the dance that he does to seduce Kristen Milotti at the first time that she, the night that she goes into the time loop, that choreography and that performance, I'm going with Andy Samberg. Yeah, I think that's a good, good choice, especially because it was unexpectedly dark for Andy mm-hmm. Samberg and he delivered on that. This movie wouldn't be the same with another actor. I have to go with J.K. Simmons, though. Mm-hmm. I feel like he was just... He almost always steals the show. Like, I I would also say he's the best part of Juno. (laughs) He's on screen for five minutes and he steals the show. I think this is one of the examples for me. J.K. Simmons. Also, Spider-Man. He was in Spider-Man? Yeah. He plays the editor. Yeah. Mm. Was it John Jameson? John J. Jameson? (laughs) Something like that. I like Kristen Milotti. She's great. She was great. Like, her eyes, her expressive face. Like, she's able to look completely distraught and then joyous and yeah like the kind of person that you would want to spend quarantine with (laughs) (laughs) yeah and she and Andy Samberg were just so good together and I think that the strength in both of their performances is being able to step back and let the other person kind of have the moment I think Chris Milani is underrated yeah and I forget how many things she's actually been in right because I think people think of her now as like the mother from How I Met Your Mm -hmm. Mother ugh but if you'll recall, she was also the daughter of Ginny and Johnny Sacrimony on The Sopranos. Yes. That was like one of her earliest roles. <laughs> I feel like she's been kind of <laughs> overshadowed in type by like Lizzie Kaplan and Alison Brie, because those are the two people who tend to get similar roles. I could see Alison Brie in this, but I don't think she would have that darkness but I could see her doing, yeah. I could see her in this movie, but it would be a little be bit different. different. Yeah. I love that movie. I thought that was great. It didn't even occur to me as like one of the top movies of the year. And as soon as you said it, I was kicking myself of like, of course, that was a great movie from the 2020. Yeah, I, I think it was also great to watch it at home instead of in a theater. Like, I think it would have been fun mm-hmm. in the theater, but it was also fun at home. It was just great. Okay, so let's get into suggested. I'll go first. This is something that I haven't seen, but that I'm excited for. Kristen Milotti has a new show coming out on HBO Max, coming out in the month of April. And she's starring in it as a woman who has a surveillance chip in her head. It's called Made for Love on HBO oh. Max. I'm excited. It feels like maybe that will be like the 2021, <laughs> like, like embody our 2021. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm pretty sure Ray Ramon is also in that. Yes. So I want to I want to talk about it, uh, recommend a time travel movie that's not necessarily a time loop. I think it's my favorite time. No, it's not. I don't know. That's my favorite. But I think it's it's a really great time travel movie called Run Lola Run. Mm, Yeah, it's a good one. It's a 1998 like experimental German thriller. And it's really just three. It's a time loop in the sense that Lola relives an experience three times throughout the course of the film. I just think of things differently after I watch that movie. But it's another great one about love, like like how transformative that is, lengths you're willing to go to for it. Andy Samberg is willing to get blown up and die for love at the end of this movie. So <laughs> made me think of Red Little Run. It's a great recommendation. My recommendation is going to be more along the lines of what Jesse did. And if you know me, 
You know how much I love the movie I'm about to name. If you like Andy Samberg, <laughs> if you're listening to this, I'm sure you do. You got to watch Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping. Okay. Now the tone is completely different from this movie, but I just have to recommend it because no one saw it. No one saw Popstar. No one saw it. And it is, in my opinion, one of the best things he's ever done. I'd be interested to hear what you two think is the best thing Andy Samberg has ever done. If it's not Popstar. Palm Springs. <laughs> Annie. I remember Annie loved Hot Rod. I loved Hot Rod. I love I Love You Man. I love pop star. I love Palm star. I love pretty much everything Andy Samberg does. I love the fact that he convinced Joanna Newsom to marry him. But I think my favorite is Celeste and Jesse Forever. Okay. I think that's eh. that's my favorite. I love Rashida Jones. I mean, it's no pop star. <laughs> okay, after pop star, after pop star. Okay. Celeste and Jesse Forever. Okay. So, but okay, pop star. Pop star never stop never stopping is my desert island movie. If I was stuck in a time loop and I had to watch the same movie every day, it would be pop star. And I can say that confidently because I took a summer trip abroad one time and it was the only movie I had downloaded on my phone and I watched it every day. Okay. It never gets old. I think also kind of like Palm Springs, it's actually more prescient than I think they intended it for it to be. Like it it's aged well, like Palm Springs when they were making it, they didn't know that it was going to be so, so relevant. And I think Popstar has similarly become more relevant. Watch them both and reflect on the state of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Next time we'll hear from Frankie about her favorite movie that she watched in 2020, and she'll make us watch that. Yeah, so in the meantime, uh, if you want to watch ahead, Frankie's pick for next week is the 1985 Soviet anti-war movie, Come and See. Please help us beat the algorithm by going over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a comment. Reach out to us on Instagram at CinemaSilopod and Twitter at CinemaSilopod. It's the same name, <laughs> different, different <laughs> platforms. <laughs> and our website, CinemaSilopod.com. And email us, cinemasilopod at gmail. Text us, WhatsApp. (laughs) Maybe someone has Viber. I don't know. (laughs) We'll see you next time in the silo. Did you know that Andy is his middle name? His first name is David. It's David.